Hello everyone, this is Matt Ferret, author of Prepare for Medicare and Prepare for Social Security Insiders Guidebooks and Online Course Training Series. Welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to successful living in midlife, retirement, and beyond. Dr. Stone, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. So tell everybody what you do, how long you've been doing it, and how you help people. So Matt, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I practice at the Stone Clinic in San Francisco, and I'm also a chairman of the Stone Research Foundation, and I've been doing that now for about 30 years, started in 1988, and I divide my life between clinical practice and then not-for-profit research. So in clinical practice, we're helping athletes of all ages, focusing on shoulder, knee, and ankle problems, and keeping people active. And in research, we're focusing on all the ways of keeping people active, uh, accelerating healing, treating, preventing, and curing arthritis. Thank you. So let's get into, well, you know what? I'm going to ask this question first, <laughs> pickleball. Uh, this thing has exploded. Uh, everyone I know over the age of, I don't even, even my son plays it. Uh, everyone seems to be playing it right now. And then I've, I've never done it, but I still see these little articles trickling in that says, the injury rate for this particular sport, given especially the demographic that plays it, is actually uh, surprising people. So can, let, me, let me get that question out of the way about pickleball first. Well, it's the number one referral to our office these days. <laughs> <laughs> so those articles are not wrong. So if you want to stay out of our office, uh, the problem is pickleball is just so much fun. Uh, it's so accessible to people of all ages. It's competitive. Uh, you can pick it up pretty quickly. Um, and so what we are reminding people is to see it as any other sport. So all the usual things, warm up, cool down, stretching, all the things that help you prepare for your sport and all the fitness things that help you prepare, strength, conditioning, aerobic capacity, accuracy, balance, proprioception, the whole combination of what we call fitness you need to think about before you jump on that pickleball court or you'll be in my office. <laughs> uh, fair enough. What other sports, yeah. I guess, in middle age or older are the ones that are, are, are the other referrals to your office? Yeah. So it really depends on the season. Skiing is a huge referral. We have lots of skiers uh, of all ages. Uh, I traveled with the U.S. ski team for a dozen years, and but I also have 70, 80, and now 90-year-old skiers as well. And so I'm actually going to my friend's 90th birthday party tonight who uh, lives in Aspen and still skis. And so it's a fantastic sport. It's so accessible, but the injuries really do hurt. And so if anyone really knew the act, actual injury rate from skiing, they'd probably never do it. So it's just uh, unfortunately quite high, but it's a fantastic sport. And uh, all the other sports, I see lots of runners and soccer players and basketball players, tennis players, of course, of all ages. And um, at what point, um, I guess not what sport, but at what point, can we talk a little bit about moving into joint replacement? Um knees uh i know i think shoulders these days maybe i'm wrong but certainly hips have been around um at what point does someone or come to see you or it progresses to a point is it is it an acute injury from one of these sports or one of these practices or is it just over time things break down so i have an unusual practice i see people from all over the world and it's mostly because 80% of the patients are people who have been told that they need a total knee replacement don't. And that's not just my data. That's data from other studies around the world as well. 
So you need a total knee replacement uh, when the entire joint has collapsed down to bone on bone. And so there's no more joint space and there's not an opportunity for me to do other things. And the other things include, number one, starting out with all the great anabolic injections we have these days, which is PRP plus hyaluronic acid, the natural lubricant of the joint. Or a person could have a biologic joint replacement where I put new meniscus back in their knee or regrow their articular cartilage. And I do that whenever there's still joint space. And then the majority of people who've been told they need a total joint replacement in the knee joint actually have only worn out one side of their knee, not the entire knee. And for those patients, we can do a partial replacement. Using robotics, it's an outpatient procedure. It takes about an hour. We just resurface only the worn out part of the joint. And the reason that's so great is the knee feels much more normal. They've got better range of motion, quicker rehab. And I just had a patient run across the United States on his bilateral partial knee replacements. So we can get people back to full sports and about 98% of people by the third to fourth month say the knee feels like a forgotten knee. And then on the total joint side, when you really have worn it out so much that you need one, what's changed is that with robotics now, we can do a 3D model of someone's knee, put the model on the computer, put the implants on the model on the computer, and then when we go to surgery, remove much less bone and not have to use bone cement at all. So it can be an uncemented prosthesis that the body actually grows into. And once your body grows into the implant, the likelihood of you knocking it loose is very low. And so we let our patients go back to full sports. And so the days of go home and rest your knee and live with pain and wait for your replacement are over. And the days of go home and protect your joint replacement and don't do too much or don't play singles tennis or don't do the things you love and climbing and skiing and running Really, those days are over too now with new technology. And so we've learned that the more active you are, and this sounds so obvious, but people really didn't pay attention. The more active you are, the longer you're going to enjoy your life, the more you're going to build your bone, the more you're going to build your muscle. And as we age, men and women, women faster than men, as we age, we lose bone naturally. And the only thing known to build bone density is resistance exercise. And so weightlifting, climbing, hiking, stair climbing, all the things that we encourage people to do, build their bones, build their muscles, and increase their activities. And so we, we, the goal is to help people drop dead at age 100 playing the sport they love. And <laughs> that's our entire focus of our research, of our activities, of the way we treat people. I wrote a book on this called Play Forever, which people can find on Amazon talking about all the philosophies and strategies and how to get there. Thank you. Um, I, I, as you're talking, I was having these flashes of 60 minute episodes of, of, you know, people running uh, the Boston marathon well into their seventies uh -huh. and eighties. Yep. And that didn't used to happen. I mean, I can think back even to the eighties or, uh, uh, or maybe late seventies. That's probably how far my brain goes back. Um, the advances in orthopedic surgery uh, and, and technology, how much of an advancement between say the nineties or the eighties and today is it, is it just uh, infinitesimal or is it, is it pretty methodical? Are we, are we seeing kind of a hockey stick in, in terms of technology or a gradual increase in advance in the technology available for people who are aging and then want to continue their sport? 
So it depends on how you look at it. There's two major changes in just the last uh, decade or two that really have made a huge difference. The first is the use of anabolic factors, so growth factors and lubrication. We no longer use cortisone, which often inhibits healing, shuts down cell metabolism, leads to further cartilage injury. We almost always now inject uh, lubricants, hyaluronic acid, growth factors called PRP. We're able to stimulate people's tissues to heal and to be less inflamed and to have less pain rather than inhibiting them. And so those sets of injections have made an enormous difference in how we treat various problems around the body from tendon injuries to tendonitis to rotator cuff tears to a host of things that we would commonly see in our athletes. The second big change over the last couple of decades has been the introduction of robotics because it's permitted us to do these partial and total joint replacements and keep people on the tennis court, keep people running, keep people hiking, place them so much more precisely than I could ever do before. That's really changed the game quite a bit. Um, when you uh, think about this, I mean, you, obviously you've got a, a, a <laughs> wonderful reputation and, and you're world renowned. Um, however, I'm sure all of us have heard, uh, horror stories, uh, around, uh, knee surgeries. I can think of a friend right now who had total knee replacement and it did not go the way it should have gone. And this person was in their late forties, early fifties. Uh, and then, and I'm going to back that into the point that you made earlier and re-ask it in another way. I think you said 80% of all, uh, all replacements aren't necessary. Is that, did I get that number right? Ish? 80% of the people who've been told they need a joint replace, total knee replacement could so, have an alternative. Thank you. So as a consumer, um, how am I supposed to know, uh, or how, <laughs> what should I go about doing to, to make sure I'm getting, um, um, uh, well, I guess the best advice I can possibly get, do I, you know, do I doctor shop? Do I start with, with you or someone with your, with your creds first? How do I know if I'm getting the right stuff from my doctor? Yeah, it's hard. It's, but with the advent of AI now, first of all, you will never go see your doctor in a year. You will no longer go see your doctor without having an AI voice agent in your pocket or on your phone or on your lapel. And your doctor will no longer listen to you without being augmented with an AI voice agent as well. Because why should you go and have to remember every little symptom and everything that happened to you when you can have a good reminder? And why should you see a doctor who's only going to rely on their own experience or their own knowledge base when they could be empowered by the world's knowledge base now? So AI is going to dramatically change your knowledge as a consumer and your ability to get great information. But on top of that, even today, you can do all the usual research. You can ask your friends. At the end of the day, when you sit down with a doctor you trust, ask them a couple of questions you don't normally ask. Ask them what's their bias. What are they good at? And so if they're biased about, you know, they always do a total knee replacement for everybody with arthritis who comes in, well, you know how they're going to approach your problem. If they're biased towards, oh, I always put cortisone in, send the patient away, and you know maybe they come back, maybe they don't, then you know what their bias is about biologics. And so query and find out where is the doctor coming from, because the doctor's biases 
influence a lot of the care that you get in, in ways that you don't often realize. And then ask the question too, hey, what are you good at? What do you like to do? What are, what do your patients do best with, with this set of treatments? And that's another good way of sort of getting at the biases in a, in a gentle way and finding out what the doctor's good at. And it's perfectly reasonable to try to find doctors who are good at the things that you think you want and are good for you. Yes. We've learned over the years, every patient's a little bit different. I learned so much from my patients who cheat. So my patients who didn't follow my advice early on, who went back to work too quickly, went back to sports quicker than I ever thought they could, they taught me about how fast healing could occur. And maybe I was being too slow and, and holding them back in certain ways. And so it's a dialogue and enjoy the dialogue, enjoy the search, um, have some fun with it, use all the internet resources that you can. And very soon, I'm sure you will be empowered by an AI voice agent, as will be as will your doctor. Wow! Uh, thank <laughs> you. Um, you. You hit on two things I want to follow up on in there: recovery time. Um, I don't know. Again, as I'll watch a golfer that, that goes to get knee surgery and they're back. It seems like in 24 hours, or a professional athlete that you know. I'll tell you, I had shoulder surgery uh, last year and it was like six months and then it's going to probably be another six months before it feels normal again. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, you see someone else with shoulder surgery and baseball and they're back in four. And is that just because they have all the time to rehab or they're, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're genetically predispositioned to outpace everyone else in the world? Or is it because why is that? Why is that difference when I see professional athletes with their teams? Is it the doctors? Is it the rehab time? Is it, is it the cutting edge technology? Is it, is it their, is it their genes or is it a combination of all of that? So the answer is always all of the above, of course, but your attitude makes a huge difference. So if you can use your injury or your surgery as an excuse, as an opportunity to come back fitter, faster, and stronger than you've been in years, then you're going to do all the things a pro athlete would do. You're going to get your physical therapy done, started the day after surgery, as we do with our patients at our clinic. You're going to find a great trainer to work with you and alongside your physical therapist and build your whole fitness program while you might be actively resting the knee that was operated on or the ankle or the shoulder. You're going to revisit your entire nutrition program and say, okay, how should my nutrition be to help me heal faster and heal better? You're going to revisit your mental attitude. You know, what's my attitude towards being relatively down for a while? Am I creative about doing other sports or building up my repertoire of sports that I like to do? Or am I just so depressed about my injury? Oh me, oh my, I'm sitting on the couch. I'll never be me again. So that mindset drives so much of what you choose to do and therefore how you come back and what time you come back in and whether or not you come back better than you were before. So our goal for people is to come back fitter, faster, stronger than they were before they were injured. And that's a mantra we use throughout the clinic. And it's what we try to instill in our patients. And then there's one more side of that too. We try to instill the concept of an athlete for life. So if you come in as a patient and we get the opportunity to fix your knee or shoulder or ankle, we get the opportunity to work with you with our rehab team and fitness team. The question is, can we bring you back intermittently over the rest of your life and sport test you and see, okay, here's where you're strong. Here's where you're weak. Here's where you've been favoring. How do we constantly help you to get better and better and better? So our goal is to bond with our patients in a way that makes them feel like, 
you know, that's the best place to go get information or they'll direct, direct me to the best place where I live and guide you throughout the whole next stage. Remember, my goal is to have you drop dead at age 100 playing the sport you love and you're not going to get there unless you take these injuries that we all have in life and use them to build yourself up better than you've ever been. Um, you mentioned the word arthritis in there. Um, and again, I'm, I'll be selfish and, and include my inject my own thing in, into into the show here, which which is when they were doing my shoulder, it was a torn labrum, a split frayed biceps tendon. It had been that way for many years, just got progressively worse. The um, the surgeon said, "Oh, you got arthritis in your shoulder, in in your in your in your arm bone." And <laughs> maybe I don't think of myself as my age, uh, but I was like, "Wow, arthritis!" You know, you usually figure your fingers or other joints first, but now I have arthritis in my shoulder. I guess because it had been exposed. Can 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 arthritis be cured? Sure. So there's there's three basic types of arthritis. The way we think about it. First is inflammatory arthritis, and that's the rheumatoid, gouty arthritis, the things that you, there are now some phenomenal drugs to help treat. That's not the majority of the arthritis that we tend to treat. We treat both what's called osteoarthritis, which may be a genetic disease or uh, possibly some other organism stimulating it, and we treat mostly post-traumatic arthritis. Hey, doc, I injured my knee. They tore my meniscus. The doc took out part of it when I was playing high school, college, or football. And now here I am 10, 20 years later, and I've got knee arthritis. Isn't there something yep. you can put back in my knee as a shock absorber and buy me some time? And that's right. often what we will do. So that post-traumatic arthritis is what all of our research is on. We have a research institute called stoneresearch.org. You can check out the research programs that are going on there. And what we focus on is how do we regrow articular cartilage? How do we replace the meniscus cartilage? How do we do the right injections for people to help them delay the time which arthritis progresses or solve some of the arthritis symptoms? So this is all the research efforts that we have and the clinical practice efforts. So I put lots of meniscus cartilages back in those athletes' knees who tore them or lost part of it years ago and are coming in to help buy time. They've often been told to wait for their knee replacement, and we say, that's yeah, a bad idea. Try to put the cartilage back in, repair the damage early, and you can solve a lot of these problems. So preventing, treating, and then curing arthritis is an important part of the mission of the Research Foundation and of our clinic as well. Thank you. Um, is it ever too late? for knee replacement? I mean, does anyone, are your bones too old enough or your body just can't handle the shock? Or are we seeing people in their 80s, 90s, late 70s go, going through this? And I mean, by the way, I mean athletes for this, not just normal people, but is it ever too late for this? Or is it just a, at a point you're like, eh, it's not a good idea given your age? There are people who are too debilitated or you know just don't have enough of their resources, uh, meaning support around them, the the uh, nutrition around them to undergo a significant surgical procedure and rehab. And for those patients, it's better to inject their knees and to do a rehab program than to subject them to surgery. Now, let me tell you the other group of patients, though. I have a huge number of folks with x-rays that look horrible, bone-on-bone -bone arthritis, just awful. And they have come in once a year sometimes twice, I've injected lubrication and growth factors for them because they say, hey, doc, that injection gets me all the way through the ski season. It doesn't bother me much at all. I'm not letting you replace my knee until those injections stop working. And that turns out to be this unusually great 
population who just aren't bothered that much by really terrible looking x-rays and arthritis. And so there's a wide range of how people respond. And so we've become very biased. Again, I mentioned to you, you need to know the bias of your doctor. We've become very biased about trying these anabolics, trying the lubrication for many conditions where we might be able to help the patient along without hurting them. Yeah, it's almost like uh, uh, I was the, the analogy I was thinking of when you said that it was like the transmission's old; it's working fine. Just <laughs> just just change the fluid. Don't yep. don't don't replace the transmission yet. Don't go yep. in there. A little thicker oil sometimes. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, so uh, going back to a bit of what I talked about earlier in terms of actual procedures or told they need a total joint replacement, it sounds like your approach and your recommendation uh, to those folks listening or watching are really in the kind of the step-by-step process. And not only interviewing your doctor or your doctors and asking some questions, which is hard to do, I think, for a lot of people is is the question, but to do that proactively and then ask for steps, not necessarily bring out the howitzer, uh, but maybe bring out the BB gun first and then maybe try a 22 cal or, uh, you know, and and move up that way. Is, Is that what I'm hearing? It sounds like it is. In general, that is true. The flip side to that, though, is if you've damaged tissues in your joint, if you've torn your meniscus, if you've torn the ligaments and then joints unstable, it's so much better to repair those early and save the knee from going down that degenerative pathway than it is to just live with it because then it gets harder and harder. So, um, yes, I want to do things that help my patients in every way with the least amount of surgery. As I like to say it, I try to do the maximum number of things for you and the minimum number of things to you. On the other hand, I want to identify when tissues are torn that can be replaced or repaired. So we're, again, our bias, we're very biased towards repairing most meniscus tears. And if the patient's lost the meniscus, very biased towards putting a new one back in because we know that helps save the knee. And we have other biases around the shoulder and the ankle we can talk about, but it's really, it, you need to understand how where your physician's coming from and how they're going to treat that one disease or another. Um, most people, when they have an issue, they they you know they're referred to someone, and then we can ask questions. Uh, but then normally they'll go to their provider directory and look up a specialty, and I don't know, pick the the the, the top one with the last name that starts with an AA, uh, and then <laughs> so and then of course you get on Google and you type in um, anything and outspits, you know, Medline, uh, Cleveland Clinic, and all these other articles that basically regurgitate similar things. Where in your experience, if people can't access you or your or that they're not close to you. Are there are there any resources out there specific to what you do in orthopedics that or organizations or foundations that can help people narrow uh, their selection to people that believe similarly as you? So first of all, relative to us, I do a complimentary outside consult for people who are willing to upload their x-rays and MRI to our site. You go to stoneclinic.com slash consults. And we don't charge for that. I, I do as many as I have time to do, and I try to get a bunch of them done each week. And so um, as a service to help people understand where the options are and where our therapies are. And we do that for people all over the world. And then on top of that, there the resources that are out there are mixed because the institutional ones are so worried about liability that it's tough. To, as you said, they all sound the same. The company ones are all a little bit biased towards their company products. So it's kind of hard to read through that. 
Yeah. So I think what's happening now is that the AI search engine, so most people don't go to Google or many people aren't going to Google anymore. They're going to BARD on Google where you can ask an AI a question and the AI will look through all the various websites and data available and give an answer. It's not always the right answer. Sometimes they make up the answer, but it's a pretty good uh, filtering of doc, uh, doctor's information, company's information, science information that's otherwise been very hard for people to do. So I think that that tool will help everyone get better information. Not not always perfect, but better. Thank you. Yeah. This has been a really, really good conversation. <laughs> I've learned a ton and, and I'm sorry for the elementary questions, but no, uh, hopefully that serves someone else listening who, who yeah. had similar ones. What questions about this topic should I have asked uh, that I didn't? Well, I think a lot of things we talked about served around the knee. It turns out we're doing a lot of work in ankle cartilage. The ankle is a very unusual joint where it's tiny, your whole body's on it, and yet it very rarely ever gets primary arthritis unless you injure it, fracture it, or have surgery on it. So the cartilage regeneration techniques in the ankle are accelerating very rapidly, and I'm seeing more and more people have been told to have an ankle fusion or an ankle replacement and who we try to do these cartilage grafting procedures for with a fair amount of success, surprising amount. In the shoulder too, people always have questions about their rotator cuff injury and their dislocation, should they have surgery or not? And often the surgery is the right answer, but not always. And so our bias again here has been to use these anabolic and lubrication injections for many of the injuries that in the past we would always operate on them first. And I have to tell you, a lot of my patients are not coming back for surgery because for some reason, a lot of them seem to heal pretty well with these injections. It doesn't cure the problem, but it certainly shuts down the inflammation and the pain and stops some of the scarring and it permits them to rehab and strengthen. So be, be open-minded about looking around the different joints and the different possibilities. The next thing that maybe we didn't talk about enough is identify a great physical therapist and a great trainer near you. Because many of the problems that we see, uh, number one, we can avoid surgery with great rehab, or number two, we can make adequate surgery look awesome with great rehab. And so it's worth it to have a great therapist and it's worth it to have a great uh, athletic trainer as well. And uh, I'm sure you'll give the same advice that I was given, that you can have the best surgeon uh, possible, when, uh, but if you don't do your physical therapy or with a good physical therapist, you're going to get less than uh, than maximum results, right? At the end yep. of the day, it's how much work you put in after that two or three or four hour surgery. It's the two, three, four months worth of work that really <laughs> makes the difference, right? That plus the attitude, become an athlete for life. So use that window of time to learn all these good techniques, to change all your habits, to optimize them and become a great athlete for life. You deserve it. Dr. Stone, thanks so much. My pleasure. The Matt Ferret Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Ferret Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, 
Laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and The Matt Ferret Show guests only, and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, nor is The Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt 